from Forward Direction LLC, it's the You Should Listen podcast, a show that intersects sports, business, fashion, and hip-hop culture. We draw on experiences from influential people who have carved out a name in their respective creative space. We hope you pick up a few gems along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone doesn't have the gift of gab and everyone doesn't feel comfortable in front of a camera. But that isn't the case with today's guest. Chris Miles has known his whole life that he was designed to do just what he's doing, and that's to get the conversation going. He's the host of Game Time on NBA TV and truly has a passion for dropping knowledge. Chris and I met years ago on the basketball court. I could sense the energy and the passion for the game, but what I truly sensed was his ability to bring people together. I'm definitely glad that we crossed paths. Our conversation is packed full of gems about how to not only do the work, but to also chase your dreams. Enjoy. So, Chris, I have a highlight tape that I'm going to send to you. Can you get it on NBA TV tonight? Not tonight, because we're not hosting shows right now. But, you know, if if you're getting buckets, man, we can put it on at the end of the show. During the season, I say that much. Okay, cool. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I have Chris Miles, the NBA TV host. Chris, going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself to our fans and listeners out there. Yeah, uh, my name is Chris Miles. I'm originally from Harlem, New York, but uh, like Jay Z said, I've been many places, but I'm Brooklyn's own. I've been many places, but I'm Harlem's own. Um, I think I've lived in about 13 or 14 states now. And currently, I, I spend time between Washington, D.C. and uh, Atlanta, working for NBC Sports in D.C. and working for NBA TV in Atlanta. Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't realize you have lived kind of all over. What are some of the other uh, places or pit stops that you uh, lived in? Bluefield, West Virginia, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Roanoke, Virginia, Fairfield, okay. Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, which is technically inside of the New York area, but a whole different world in itself. Um, just offhand. Oh, Boston. I lived in Boston for a while. So most places on the East Coast, I would say, but they're still not the same state. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I definitely agree. And for our listeners out there, I actually had the chance of meeting Chris back when he was uh, in Roanoke, Virginia. He was, uh, oh, we were on the same team, I think, a few times. We were playing pickup at the Y. Remember those days? I do, man. I remember (laughs) that was the first time I realized how much I had aged. (laughs) <laughs> and we were playing against these kids that were, like, in high school. And I'm like, man, I was better than that when I was 17. Yeah. But at 28, I was like, oh, I don't have that anymore. <laughs> it, it's, that's, that was my, like, moment of realization right around that time. Nice. Cool. I uh, kind of want to backtrack a little bit. I know you said that you were from Harlem. Um, kind of wanted you to talk about your upbringing. Did you always have an interest in sports? Um, kind of all that good stuff. I, the funny thing is, if you say, "Do I always ha- did I always have an interest in sports?" I don't really remember life before sports. So this, you know, with the with the Jordan documentary coming out, it's it's had me in several conversations with some of my friends, and I'm like, "Wait, for real? That was a thing?" So one of my recent friends um, that I grew up with, he's about five or six years older than me, and he was like, "Man, do you remember we were at your house and Jordan dropped a 63 on the Celtics?" And I was like what he's like yeah man you was like you were like five years old and i'm like say word he's like yeah word <laughs> man and you know sham god was there and i was like 
No, he wasn't. He's like, yeah, man, he was a little bit older than us, but he was definitely with us in your crib watching Jordan bust up the Celtics. I'm like, that's crazy. So it's like some things you forget about. I'm like, yeah, my as a kid, we played on trash cans, and then we elevated to fire escapes until we can get to the real courts and the bitty courts and everything. So I'm like, man, I really don't remember what I was doing before basketball or before sports. It's just my first memory. Gotcha. That's cool. Did you play uh, your high school team um, growing up or your, or your junior high school team or any of those uh, capacities? Oh, yeah, I always played. Um, now, I will have to give this caveat. So my high school team, we were number one in the country. Nice. Um, but I was the last guy on the team. Okay, okay. <laughs> so let me let me make sure I clarify that uh, both the point guards that played ahead of me were McDonald's All-Americans. And we we were the next group after Felipe Lopez uh, okay. finished up. So they, they had a 30 for 30 on Felipe recently and how he transitioned mm-hmm. a lot of the culture, the Dominican culture uh, in Harlem with basketball. We were the next group of students that next year. And I tell people in my class, I think we had 70 students and seven were Division One basketball players. And I would have had an opportunity if I was a year behind. It's just oh, wow. that my class was so loaded, it didn't work out for me. Nice. What high school did you go to? Rice High School. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Obviously heard of them. I think they were also mentioned in the um, the Marbury documentary that I just watched. Um, well, yeah, because, well, the crazy thing about Marbury is he broke those records because he was playing in the uh, public school league and we were in a Catholic school league. There was mm-hmm. no way he setting those records in the Catholic school league. For instance, we, you know, in the public school league, you kind of had to, to get where you wanted on your, you get to games on your own and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we were traveling the country, and it's like you, you had to beat Ron Artest and Lamar Odom to make it to the city championship in the Catholic school league, whereas mm-hmm. the public school league, it, was, it wasn't like that at all. Gotcha. gotcha. That's cool. So, obviously, you said you went to Rice High School. Where did you go to college? Fairfield University in Connecticut, small Jesuit school. Um, okay. So, it was a good opportunity for me to get out of the city and to – uh, really focused on my studies. That was a difficult uh, choice for me as a as a student because I had a I had a full ride to Notre Dame, and mm-hmm. I just went I went out there and the world was so different there in this sense. I I, I had a pager, <laughs> you know, not a <laughs> cell phone, and I was out of touch with family for a week. And when I got off that plane, it took another two hour ride like to South Bend, Indiana, and I looked around. It, that was too much for me, so uh, I chose Fairfield <laughs> University. Yeah. Gotcha. What did you uh, study there? What's that? What did you study at uh, Fairfield? Oh, I was an English major. So all about the literature, man. Okay. Gotcha. And I guess obviously you're in broadcasting now. What was your, your big, your big scheme or your picture after you finished from Fairfield? Like what did you envision life for Chris after college? Well, (laughs) That's that's kind of a long story. So I'll try to give you the most abridged, most abridged version of that. So okay. I knew I wanted to be involved in sports and I thought I wanted to be on the business side. So mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I actually had my first internship in the World Trade Center. And oh, wow. then I had another internship at Burson Marsteller, a public relations firm in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And that led to I kept pushing my resume to all the, you know, the sports internships. And I got one with the NBA. And when I worked in their marketing department, I kind of thought I, you don't feel you don't feel that close to the actual sport. You're around the business all the time, uh, the strategic partnerships, 
you know, whether it's Sprite or Nike or whoever they're dealing with at that particular time, but you're not really involved with the, the NBA action. So I kind of thought this wasn't for me. It's, it's like I learned that lesson. Um, and then I got an internship at ESPN because of my resume having all those other uh, places on it. So then when I interned at ESPN, I met some of the anchors like Stan Verrett. He was actually he's actually my mentor and Stuart Scott, Kevin Frazier, a lot of those guys. And they gave me a lot of tips and advice on the way. And so I decided to make a tape and send it all around the country. That's how I ended up in West Virginia. Nice. That's cool. And obviously that was your first uh, was that your first time going to West Virginia or had you been to the south before that? Oh, I had been to the south. But see, that's the thing that's interesting. Uh, when you play basketball, yeah, you go to places, but you don't really get to know them. You know, like yeah. you, you get off the bus, you play, you meet like other kids from around the country, and then you, you know, you're with your group. Um, but going to West Virginia that first time, I remember going for my interview and stopping at a gas station, and I saw, you know, this older guy there. I was like, hey, are there any young people here? <laughs> I, was, I hadn't seen anyone under the age of like 40. In in, a, in the two days I was there, I was like, this is crazy. But sure enough, uh, that's why I always, like you said, when you met me in Roanoke, I went went to the gym and I started to meet some of the people that, um, you know, went to college around there. And I mean, I was only 21, fresh out of school. So there were kids in college that were older than me. So I started to hang out with some of those guys and uh, I met some friends quickly. Okay, cool. So was Roanoke um, after West Virginia or was there any stops before that? No, Roanoke was after Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So I went to, uh, I was in West Virginia, went to Columbus, Ohio, and the station I worked for in uh, Columbus actually shut down. It was the Columbus Sports Network, and uh, they opened up at the same time as the Big Ten Network, and they thought they were going to get all of the uh, Olympic sports rights from Ohio State and mm-hmm. also all the high school sports, but ESPN swallowed up uh, the interesting high school sports in that area. And Big Ten Network took all the rights for Ohio State. So it closed down. And I had to rush and try to get another job. Gotcha. That's cool. So I kind of wanted to backtrack a little bit. So you said you went to school for English, correct? Mm-hmm. So where did you get, like, your actual media training from? Or, or did you teach yourself? Or did you have a coach? Or, like, kind of walk us through that process. So uh, internships. So okay. when I interned at ESPN and I asked uh, Stan Verrett about all the ins and outs, and how do you make it in the business? He's like, look, what you got to do is you got to get in front of a camera. So just go to your school and uh, try to start working at the campus station. And I was an English major, so I didn't really have access to it. So it was my junior year, and I got my work study switched to the campus TV station at Fairfield. And they started allowing me to host shows as part of my work study program. Oh, nice. So it was the craziest thing where I started essentially getting paid um, probably more than I got paid in West Virginia to, to host shows <laughs> in college. Nice. And obviously you say you wanted to, I guess, be in that space, but were you nervous or kind of apprehensive of the first time that you were in front of a camera? No. So um, I learned, I learned at an early age that that was a, a gift that I did have is that I, I was never nervous in front of crowds. And uh-huh. I learned that um, I guess it was in the sixth grade I was second in my class and gave a speech at the graduation. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was pretty clear that I had talent, you know, <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> principal, everyone gave a standing ovation. The principal was like, Oh, we're going to miss you. You're so great at this. 
And it, it was an interesting feeling that I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess people are nervous about this, but I wasn't. Even, I mean, even if I think back to, you know, when you first have to read in the first or second grade and kids are apprehensive, mm-hmm. I was always a kid, oh, I want to do it. Um, <laughs> so whatever that is that's in people that, that makes them nervous, I've never been uh, nervous for that. And I tell you, the only time I really did get nervous is um, I, got a, I got into work one day and they were like, hey, uh, we're going to have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in about an hour and a half. I was really nervous because uh, Kareem is, you know, the end-all, be-all for me as far as uh, basketball players are concerned and, you know, what he stood for and you know, all of those things. So that's the only time where I legit was uh, nervous in front of a camera. Great. And obviously you mentioned the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the Laker legends. I was going to kind of transition to your space now with the NBA TV. What is it like working for, obviously – my favorite, my favorite league, um, but the NBA in general. You know, I had a conversation with uh, Sham God actually last week. Okay. And he said the same. He works for the Dallas Mavericks now. Okay. He said the same thing I said, man. He was like, wherever you go you and you get back to the NBA, you realize it's like Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you're doing within that space, it's almost like everything is this fantasy universe and you love it. And that's kind of, and you know, I don't know if you know Sham God's story. Of course, he has that yep. move that everybody loves. Of course. But, I mean, he was, a, he was a great basketball player in his own right. And he fizzled out of the league after a year, year and a half, and, had to, and played in China for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think even longer than that. Yeah. But um, he just said coming back and being around the league and working as a coach uh, for the Mavericks for player development, it's just it's, you know and you appreciate how great of a situation that is. That's cool. Yeah, and I know you obviously mentioned uh, Sham God a few times, so I'm a huge uh, Dipset fan, so I know Cam was like oh. big on the basketball court, and I know he used to say he used to battle with Sham God all the time, so when he used to say that, I used to say, who is this guy? And then when the N1 mixtapes came out and Ray Frosten and all those guys were doing the moves, started doing my research, and I was like, okay, so the move is actually named after a person. It's not, it's named after a person, so that's cool. You, here's a crazy thing. Uh, so Cameron's high school coach was the same high school coach I had. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mo Hicks is his name. He ended up actually working at St. John's for a while. So Mo Hicks coached Cameron and Mace at Manhattan Center, and then he got the job at our high school at Rice. Um, and, we, you know, we, I think he won eight high school New York City and state championships. Um, so he's pretty legendary coach at this point in New York City and state history. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and, yeah, you, you briefly mentioned uh... – your interview with Kareem, and I know you've interviewed pretty much everyone that's in the league, but can you kind of talk about going from being like a media personality or anchor in a, in a smaller city or a smaller market to now working at the NBA TV? Like, what was that transition like? Um, obviously, you said you don't kind of have that, that bug that gets nervous, but were you starstruck in any capacity when you're interviewing some of these legends? I wouldn't say starstruck. I would say there's a level of respect that sometimes I have to pinch myself. Um, You know, because for instance, Isaiah Thomas and I are are friends Mm -hmm. and this is, I wore his number growing up. (laughs) That's a reality. Or uh, I try to watch what I say because in a sense I'm around Shaq a lot and (laughs) Uh you know, it's like, Oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing and and piss him off. So it, but that's my reality. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I'm at work and uh, we go to, let's say, NBA All-Star Weekend, those are the people that I'm around now. So mm-hmm. for me, it's, um, you know, 
it's just it's it's not it's not that different than working in uh, a small market and TV station in this sense. It's the same job. Now, granted, when I worked in Roanoke, I shot my own footage and edited my own footage. I don't do that now, but it's I'm doing the same thing. So it's like it's just different people. And then once you're around them, they are no matter how famous or how big someone is, they want to be a person, too. So you kind of learn that lesson. Gotcha. And obviously you mentioned um, Shaq, who has one of the bigger personalities of the league. Um, obviously love when he comments on the game or gives like the post-game analysis, but can you kind of talk about like managing the egos or working with these different um, levels of, of stars and former athletes? Well, I think that's kind of the balance of my current job. Now, when I host a show, I try to, you know, sometimes the game ends and we're just freestyling. We're just going off of what we saw. And I try to make sure I ask the person who will give the best answer to the question, but have a balance where uh, make sure that everyone's involved. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an example, for one show, I think I want to say, let's see who was on a set. It was Jason Kidd, uh, Derek Fisher, and I want to say it was Grant Hill. It was those three guys. I could I could be wrong about one of them, but I'm pretty sure those were the three guys. And it was just this, it was a hard balance to make sure that they all stayed involved. Because at any point, let's say I ask Jason Kidd three straight questions. Well, you think Grant Hill's like, well, you don't value my opinion. <laughs> so I think that's just that's a difficult dance that you always have to you always have to try and master. Above knowing all the stats and not messing up. <laughs> Got you. So obviously you're a fan of basketball, but I'm I'm guessing you have someone kind of feed you your stats. Or are you actually watching each one of these games that you're kind of talking about? Well, a lot of times for me, uh, there there are different shows that I host. Mm -hmm. So obviously when you host uh, game time and it's a recap of 11 games from that night, sometimes, a lot of times the highlights come in, I haven't seen a second. (laughs) So that's why you have to know who everyone is. You have to know their strengths and their weaknesses. And when I say everyone, I do mean everyone. Uh, So that when they pop up in a highlight, you know, the the sheet may have their name wrong but I know who they are. And then I anticipate their move and I can say, Hey, they're, they're shooting 60% from the field. Obviously this makes sense. Or a guy has shot, you know, 55% from three point range in the last five games, those types of things I always try to stay current and up to date with, and, you know, try to present that in the highlights. That's cool. And kind of speaking of the highlights of the different players, since you work for NBA TV, are you allowed to have like a favorite team or champion? My, like fa- a favorite player? my favorite team is the Knicks. So be, because oh wow, <laughs> wait who who's your team? What's going on here? The Lakers, the one and only since Magic. You see since, here's since the Magic. Thing. Here's the thing. You're from Roanoke, Virginia. Okay, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so if you you're gonna go across the country and be a fan of a team, you can't clown me for being a fan of a team in my own backyard. Okay, that is All true. Right? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the Charlotte Hornets or something. Oh man, yeah, I was like, I, I was like, that's it. Because that's the closest team to Roanoke, right? Yeah, that would be I the think. closest team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. We actually um, – we had a former Knicks player in my uh, leadership class um, last week. I think his name is Charles Smith. I don't know if that name. Uh, yeah. You, you, you don't know who Charles Smith is, 6'10". No, I know uh, who he is. I know okay. Who he, yeah, I know who he All is. Right. He, uh, he, uh-huh. uh, Jordan fouled him, if, if you're a Knicks fan. Um, on those. No, we, no, 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 no. <laughs> See, here's the thing. 
people get that twisted. We're not the excuse makers. We're like, get Charles Smith out of here. <laughs> get him out of here. Isn't he a financial advisor or something now? Yeah, he does something with, uh, I believe, the MBPA. So, yeah. Yeah, he helps athletes. I'm pretty sure it's it's low-risk management with that guy. Jeez. <laughs> Dunk the basketball, Charles. Dunk it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So we are obviously doing, like, the virtual Zoom classes and, one of, the, of our uh, international students, his actual background was a Bulls highlight, I think, from that Knicks game. But he's younger, so I uh, sent him a text, and I was like, hey, you might want to change your background, because I'm pretty sure Charles is not going to see that. And then he uh, did his Google. He's like, oh, I didn't realize that that was from the actual game. So it's kind of funny. It's clear that Chris has paid his dues. He has had stops all over the country, but the grind didn't stop. I love how he details the prep work that goes into each show. As the saying goes, most people don't want to know how the sausage is made. They just want the finished product. In the second half of our conversation, Chris sheds light on what it's like to work with the NBA greats and also what we can expect once the NBA returns. Speaking of returns, have you got back to that book you said you were going to write? Well, Four Direction LLC is a full house book publishing agency that can help you get your story out once you're ready. Check out the website, LaydenWilliams.com. Now back to our conversation. You work in a space that is desirable for most people that want to work in sports. Do you ever have like fans or, or, or friends or family to ask you like, hey, can you get Kareem to sign this hat or can you get... Isaiah to shout out my birthday on live TV. Like I know you get those type of weird requests all the time. Actually, uh, yes, this happens. And it's the weirdest thing because it's always a person that you think they know better, you know, like <laughs> athletes I grew up with, like, Hey man, I got this idea. What's your idea, man? Look, what you should do is I can go buy a bunch of Barkley and Isaiah Thomas jerseys and you can get them to sign them. Then I can sell them. I'm like, my man, that is a direct violation of my contract. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Yeah. You know? And so it's it's always, it's that person. It's never a random person that you meet that's like, hey, could you do me a favor? No. It's the person, it's, it's the people <laughs> that you know they should know better, and they don't. Gotcha. That, that makes sense. Definitely got to kind of table, table that talk or kind of level set them. Obviously, you said the you're a huge basketball fan and you have the, the gift of the gift of gab and to be in front of a camera. What do you like specifically about working at the MBT, NBA TV? Cause you could obviously be like another network covering the, a similar space. Honestly, it's the conversations that I can't talk about. It's the conversations that people have that I'm around that I go, wow, I know the truth, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's the hardest thing is to, I, I get on Twitter and I'll see stuff and I'm like, don't say anything to anyone. <laughs> don't do it. Don't ruin your, your situation. Yeah. But, you know, knowing all of the secrets, it's really interesting um, because you see how things can get misconstrued. And even, you know, I think just the, the whole wave of social media makes it interesting. For instance, I talked to John Wall for nine minutes. It was a nine minute interview the other day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And during that interview, seven minutes he spoke about his mother's passing, about why he's why he's donating masks and meals and, yeah. you know, how this is the hardest thing he's ever been through. And then the next day I wake up and I see sports. I'm just going to call them out. Sports Illustrated had four people debating 
because uh, John Wall apparently said that uh, he and Bradley Beal are good. Their relationship is great. Mm-hmm. He said that in the interview. That's the one line he said. And he's like so proud of how Brad has developed. And they're going, the Wizards need to trade John Wall. Wow. So it's one of those things where, and I saw that that got more attention than my interview with all the positive stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really difficult to see how things have changed in that regard. Mm-hmm. The sensationalism, the how now we have a group of um, on-air people who can take an interview and then make it something completely different that's just misinformation. And it happens consistently. I think that's the that's the hardest thing for me is being on the ground and, and, and conducting the interviews and talking to people and knowing the truth and then seeing how it's spun and misconstrued because people are trying to get um, exposure, essentially. Gotcha. And obviously you kind of mentioned the sensationalism or spotlighting stories that aren't necessarily true at times. What is it about, I guess, working in media that people don't realize, like, outside of like the glitz and glamour, like, yeah, you host NBA TV, but I know there's long hours that you put in. You had to live in Roanoke, West Virginia, Columbus, Ohio, these smaller cities to get to where you are today. Can you kind of like talk about that process as well? Well, I mean, I, I would hope that people that are professionals and, and love the work would say the same thing that I would say to you here is that I'm always working. Mm-hmm. And that means I don't think the Jordan documentary is very good at all, but I'm going to watch every minute of it because it's part of work. Okay. Um, uh, if, if there is when, when Kevin Durant's documentary comes out, I'm going to watch it the minute it drops. When uh, a game is over at, at minimum, I go look at the box score or go read the recap of it almost every single game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I DVR games and try to watch them within 45 minutes so that I can catch, you know, three or four games the next day, every day. Like that's part of the job. I think that it's, it's alarming though, because you see a lot of people with a voice that you know are not doing that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I try to make sure I'm honest enough to, to do those things and make that part of the job. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you're definitely doing a good job. I kind of wanted to backtrack. You mentioned the uh, bulls doc interested to get your kind of take on that. You say you're not really a fan of it. Um, I wouldn't consider it journalism. Okay. So if you're okay with understanding that that is not journalism, then, you know, it's entertaining. Uh, but it's also at points, I think when you look at the fact that Michael Jordan was not involved in the Dennis Rodman documentary, Mm -hmm. um, that he was not involved in the bad boys documentary, that he was not involved in anything over the past 20 years regarding the history of the game. Mm. And now that there's a debate of other people possibly being in the same space that he's in, he decides to give these interviews and it's mostly, um, you know, Hey, tell us this, Michael, tell us this great story and let's get people to back up this great story where it's not really telling all sides of it where I don't know. I, I just, I think it's it's moderately entertaining, but I can see what's happening and where it's going. And I, I don't I, I think they they they're doing it a disservice. Now, for instance, Scottie Pippen's contract. Okay, when they handled the way they handled that on the show, I, I kind of had an issue with it because when Scottie Pippen signed that contract, it was at market value for we had what he had accomplished in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you look at how much Jordan was making at that time, now you've seen all the corrective memes and that sort of thing. But that was in the same range as what Jordan was making. He didn't make that $32 million until he came back. 
until that season in which they're portraying the documentary. It's like, yeah. And then they gave Scotty money basically in his last two years when he was washed as like, retired, like, Oh, look, here's some back pay. And he got paid in Portland from what he did in Chicago. So it's just really, I don't know. That should have been part of the discussion. If you're doing a documentary, you have to present that at that moment to make it a full documentary. If it's journalism. Yeah, actually, I love that insight. I've never kind of looked at it that way. I, I guess when I'm watching the show, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to why some of the, uh, I guess, rivalry players that he played against, like Carl Malone, John Stockton, like why weren't some of those guys featured in um, certain aspects of the documentary to kind of give their take on what it was like kind of battling Mike. And to your point, when you watch these other documentaries, whether it's the Detroit basketball or the one with Robin, you don't see MJ kind of, give his two cents or kind of spotlight uh, what it was like during those times. So that is very interesting. Yeah. So I, I think if, if you can, if you can interpret that the way that I just presented it, then you realize, okay, this is more entertainment. I guess it's technically a documentary, but he, he, people would just plow any one-sided documentary. All, like, you can't put that out. People would just say, Oh, this isn't very good. Yeah. But because it's Michael Jordan and it has high production value, with the songs that they're putting in there and, you know, cutting up the highlights, which is, it's Michael Jordan highlights. Not really that difficult to <laughs> put music to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. I um, kind of wanted to get you to spotlight some of the projects that you're proud of that you've worked on um, at the NBA TV, um, either there or your previous positions. Well, I always tell people it's, so actually when I was in Roanoke, mm -hmm. um, I had two, I guess, two things that I worked on that to this day, I I feel very um, happy to have worked on them. One was called the signature pieces. And essentially what I did is I sat down with people as they signed the camera. So it was like Shrink Beamer and coaches from Virginia Tech um, and talked to them about their life outside of sports and what sports has done for them. And I, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, you had one coach who had, um, two heart surgeries. I uh, found out that Coach Height, who was like a five foot six round, um, sixty year old, that he played basketball at Fame Debatha, yeah. and there was this picture of him dunking, and I was like, I would have never guessed that, you know. So it, it, it's just that was that was an incredible experience for me. And then Michael Vick, I think, when I worked in West Virginia, Michael Vick was young, on top of the world, Michael Vick. Okay. Um, when I worked in Roanoke, he had just gotten out of prison mm. and I'd never seen anyone, I mean, anyone legitimately change that much in a four to five year span. And I respected that about him, that not only did he learn from his mistakes, but, you know, not that, oh, he's trying to live the straight and narrow. Mm. I, I just think he was trying to be a better person. Mm. And that was a really cool thing for me to see firsthand um, over a couple of years how that developed from the first time I saw him, I tried to throw a microphone in his face and he was like, who's this dude <laughs> to, you know, four or five years later, he's like, Oh, I remember you. Hey, come meet my son. You know, nice. like there, there was, a, there was a difference in him that I'm happy he's, he's living a full life now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could go on for days with stuff like that. Uh, talking to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar about playing Wilt Chamberlain when they were in high school, when he was in high school at the Harlem YMCA. I mean, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Talking to Zion Williamson while he was still in high school, yeah. it, that was cool to meet his mom and, and learn how influential she was in his life and how he's handling all of the fame that came to him as a 16-year-old. 
I mean, people kind of overlook that. Like, what would you do if you're from a small town and all of a sudden you're 16 and, you know, the most popular pop artist of the time, Drake, is like wearing your jersey in a video and people are just, you know, you get millions and millions of views. Like, that would do something to your psyche and it didn't. You stayed grounded. So, I I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I worked on, but those are the first things that come to my mind right now about, yeah, that was pretty cool to do that at that particular time. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Um, obviously, you mentioned the Vic, the Vic story, and kind of getting to meet him. I loved his uh, documentary. I don't know if you got a chance to see that on um, ESPN, but I thought they did a good job of kind of talking about his rise and then how he recovered from um, the unfortunate incident, and then kind of building his brand now. So I feel like he's definitely did a good job of rebranding himself on and off the field because the brand is legitimate that's yeah. who he was before and this is who he is now exactly. um and and yeah I, I caught that and i i enjoyed watching it cool and obviously you stay very busy um whether you're re-watching game film or looking at the box scores uh what inspires you on a day-to-day basis i just think um as we were talking about before just what sports mean for me culturally mm-hmm. i mean when i'm when I'm working, you know, people I grew up with or people that I know are like, oh, that's my guy. Like, that means something to me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it doesn't to other people, but I like the feeling of, like, yeah, I'm doing something that uh, other people would like to do, and I love doing it. Exactly. And um, it, I've had jobs before. Mm-hmm. This doesn't – you know, people say job, career, passion. Man, I've never – Anytime I have to work, I'm like, all right, can, do I have the energy and the focus to do it? Mm-hmm. It's never, it's never, oh, I don't want to do this. There's not a single time where I wake up and I go, I don't want to do this. And that's an incredible feeling. Right. That's cool. Yeah, I was going to ask, obviously, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about your internships and kind of grooming yourself to be in front of the camera. I was interested, what is your take on the, the transition from the athletes on the court to immediately going into like an analyst role or like covering sports? I've worked with so many that were in that space and it's almost like you can tell immediately how they prepare for it, how far they're going to go. And I just think some guys, they finish playing and it's like, they have all the money in the world. They do. And they kind of go, well, I can do this and this will, I know taxes are coming around and this will pay for that. Mm. You know, you, 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 you can tell uh, without saying any names. I can kind of tell who those guys are. Then there are other guys where they're like me, where I get it. It's not about the money at all. Yeah. It's about like, whoa, I can't play anymore. I just want to be around the game. Mm. Okay, this is a cool thing I can do. Plus, plus coaching is a little too stressful for me. Yeah. Um, I'm doing this. And they come in with notes. They come in prepared. One guy would say that, really stands out in that regard is uh, my friend Karan Butler, man. He was done playing, and I'm like, oh, they're going to put him on. This is kind of cool. Of course, there are things he's still working on, just the same way there's always stuff I'm working on. But I I looked over, and I saw his his sheet and what he was prepared with, and I'm like, oh, okay, you're one of us. Mm. It's kind of like I I say that to some of the guys. like Dennis Dennis Scott's one of those guys Uh where I'm like, look, yeah, you played for the Orlando Magic. Yeah, you had 11 three-pointers in a game. Yeah, you're friends with Shaq, but now 
at this stage in your life, you're one of us. Gotcha. Like you've crossed over to a media member. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty cool when you see that actual transition for these guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge uh, fan of Karan. I actually read his book, uh, Tough Juice. I thought that was a good read. Um, I have to ask, were you a part of the, uh, when he was doing the whole wig thing on NBA, was that NBA TV where he was putting on like, yeah, that was me. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, was... We were together. <laughs> In fact, the barber that, the barber that does that, um, is Lawrence her name. She's pretty cool. So I was with him during the process. The most recent time he did it actually took the footage. Uh, maybe when we're done, I'll text it to okay. you. Um, you just don't post it on social yeah, media, yeah. but, um, I'm pretty sure, like, as he was going through the process, I don't know if I posted it or not, but I think he wanted me to, and I don't think I got a good video or shot or whatever. <laughs> but, like, yeah, and then the, the one time he did it, uh, he's he had the high-top fade he did on Spectrum Sports, which was not with me, but he, he had just, like, a low fade, and he walked in. I just was staring at him like, my man, what is going on? <laughs> what is happening? That is funny. Yeah, that's, uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I got to – a few laughs out of that, but he was always one of my favorite players. I wish he would have stayed with the Lakers a little bit longer, but he was cool. Um, I guess in kind of wrapping up, what is your advice for someone that wants to work in the sports industry, specifically in media covering sports? Uh, read. I know that seems like the simplest thing in the world, but I think the probably um, what's given me the biggest leg up is the fact that I just I always read. So, uh, for instance, I did a show with Bill Simmons and Kevin McHale. Oh, man. Um, we watched the 1987 Game 7 Eastern Conference semifinals against the Milwaukee Bucks. And as we're doing it, I'm like, oh, yeah, Bill Simmons said that uh, Kevin McHale was in his wine cellar for this particular season. And I could see in Bill Simmons' face, like, oh, this guy actually read my book. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's just that I'm always trying to, to, cause you never know when it's, when it's going to be something that you can use. Mm. Um, and that came, that came in handy in a big spot. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I'm a huge uh, Bill Simmons uh, fan. I love what he's doing with the ringer. His podcast is great. He definitely has a lot of interesting takes on Boston sports in general, but uh, he's a good guy. Yeah. He still thinks those Celtics themes are better than the Bulls. <laughs> and I'm like, you are tripping. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, you said reading in general, are there any books or, uh, I guess, literature or journals that you subscribe to to kind of stand in the know with, with what's going on? Oh, I think with now the way the internet is, as far as sports are concerned, I mean, I just, I'm always, uh, Twitter really is great if you use it properly, gotcha. um, because all of the articles, all of the main articles come out. So I follow, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, The Athletic. And I kind of pick and choose what's most important. Um, but with all these sites, like there's basketball reference, you, you can almost do all of your research on your own. There's one for pro football reference, uh, pro baseball reference, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, man, right now, actually, uh, you know, Roland Lazenby, yeah, right? Yeah. He's, uh, so his yeah. daughter actually went to, we went to high school together. His dad and my dad are, or her dad and my dad are actually good friends. I know he wrote the text winner book. So, I mean, he wrote Jordan of yeah. Life. He wrote Kobe's Showboat. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just one of those guys who are like, I mean, I I'm read, I remember reading his book on like, man, Michael Jordan's grandpa was only 5'4". <laughs> like, and that's almost my point with that documentary. I'm like, I learned more reading Roland Lazenby's book than I did from this documentary. This is not, this is, I'm upset right yeah. now. <laughs> was, he, was he involved with the documentary at all? Do you know? No. Oh, my gosh. Which I think is, exactly, I find it laughable. Yeah. I'm like, come on, okay. man. 
Now you have to understand you're talking to someone who was, grew up as a Knicks yeah. fan, and Jordan's dominance is not even being portrayed correctly. Yeah. I mean, he, he just – you had this feeling of, oh, my God, when's it going to happen to us? <laughs> yeah. No other player – you can correct me if – I don't know another player that when during their career you thought, oh, it's about to happen to us now. Outside of Michael Jordan in, in my life. That's what I think people, when they try to say what is his greatness, even LeBron, you kind of go, all right, is he going to do it? Oh, he did it this time. But when he fails, you're kind of used to that too. With Michael Jordan, I'm like, I just remember every time it really mattered, it was like he found a way, and it wasn't always spectacular. He always did it. Yeah, definitely. And I I wasn't a huge – I'm still not a huge Jordan on the court fan growing up. I was actually a huge uh, Gary Payton fan, Jason Kidd. But I just remember, like – I feel like Jordan was one of those guys that like just never took a play or a series off. He was just like so, like you said, he was just so dominant. He could literally take over a game like at will. And like I haven't seen, I think I've seen a huge Kobe fan. Um, I feel like Westbrook, even though they're not in the same tier or same level, I feel like his drive it kind of reminds me of like a younger Jordan before he got some help and kind of was able to kind of reel everybody in. But that dominant factor is kind of crazy. I don't know if there's ever been a best worst player than Russell Westbrook. That's a good. And it's what I like, even when like I say that to you and I've had to stand right next mm-hmm. to him, you know? So yeah. it's like one of those things. He's a big yeah. kid. I mean, he's six, he's big. He's six four. He's he's a shooting yeah. guard essentially. I mean, that's what he it's like Bradley Beal size, John Wall size. So when I talked to him, it was one of those things where even when you speak to him, you you feel like you should watch what you say. Gosh. Like you, he has this this intensity to him, but I just I always wanted him to increase his shot selection. Yeah. Uh, something that John Moran John Moran has already mastered that, by the way, how great yeah. he is, and and he has all of those tools that Russell Westbrook has, and I'm like, you know, Westbrook, you should probably watch Jaw play a little bit. But on the positive side of that, like you were saying, we um we had these junior NBA games at All Star, mm-hmm. and you know they always ask players to come by. And most players come by for a quarter. You get a shot of them, you know. They shake the kids' hands and they mm-hmm. leave. That's what happens. And I'm telling you, Russell Westbrook sat off to the side and was cheering on the teams for the entire game. Oh, wow. And he tried to stay away from the cameras, yeah. and he tried to talk to the, the kids directly. And from that second, I said, you know what? I will never slander this man's name again. Gotcha. Yeah. I just won't. But he's still the best worst player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, those stories kind of like what you said. That's what I guess we as fans don't generally see. We just see what the media kind of captures, which is him kind of uh, waiting to jump down a reporter's neck or kind of uh, ignoring questions uh, post post game or post playoffs. But yeah, I know that there's those stories out there because I know he is a diehard basketball fan, always willing to kind of give back to the youth and the younger hoopers coming up. Yeah, and, and that's something that can't be overlooked. You have to tell a complete story yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and Russell Westbrook is a dynamic, dichotomy type of guy. I mean, <laughs> he is. He is that all-in-one. Gotcha. Cool. Well, i um, not going to hold you too much longer. Thanks again. I, but before we wrap up, I wanted to put you in the hot seat and get, get your take on five random questions if, if you have time. Go ahead. All right, cool. So – First question, obviously you're from Harlem, so I feel like I, I know the answer to this, but Dipset or Wu-Tang? So I'm not going to choose either one, but I got a story for you. Okay. So 
I grew up on 139th Street. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Cameron grew up on 140th Street. Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, it's essentially we played in the same park, okay. right? So um, around the time, I guess this would have been, I don't know, man, right before Cameron had an album, mm-hmm. I saw the guys from Wu Tang pulled up and were hanging out with Mace, uh, Loom, Cameron, wow. uh, <laughs> all those guys. So, like, when you say that, Neither, man. I respect both okay. of them because I saw with my own two eyes that they are people that are from the same place I'm from. And, you know, they worked hard to get where they are. Okay. So I don't have I'm not choosing between them. I'm picking them. Gotcha. Both. OK, nothing wrong with that. Um, Chappelle show or Martin? Chappelle show. Okay. It's way it's 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 the layers to the Chappelle show. Lap Martin. Martin now looks silly fun. Chappelle's show, you still go, man, there's some issues. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's a different, that's a different level. To okay. Gotcha. Uh, you need a three-pointer to win the game. Steph, Ray Allen, or Reggie Miller? First of all, that's not even a question. Okay, Steph Curry, first of all, you from Roanoke, <laughs> you know his mom's from exactly. Radford. And before, and before he blew up, man, that dude used to come back to Radford all the time. He's so down to earth. But the hand, you see – and I say handle, it's a different type of create your own shot type of handle. But if I got to get a shot off, Reg ain't dribbling past anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Allen is fast. I mean, young Ray Allen's fast. I know he's clutch and all that. But, man, Steph Curry, oh, wow. you got to get one off? I don't know the situation. Okay. You know? I feel like Steph can create his own okay. shot. Okay. I feel like, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong in that scenario. I feel like Ray might have. Ray's definitely clutch, like depending on which Ray you're looking at, but Ray Allen's definitely a knockdown at three. Um, if you could play a game of 21 with three other players, who would it be and why? Am I trying to win hey, or lose? This is your game. I don't know how competitive you are, so we'll see. Uh, three players to play 21. Uh, Kevin Hart. Oh, you mean <laughs> Any, NBA players? Anybody. Yeah, oh, anybody? anybody? Hold on, Kevin Hart, cause he little. He ain't that's oh Ja Rule, cause he shoot bricks. I know he ain't gonna win. And Drake, cause he's suspect and trash too. I saw him in the lamp line of Kentucky. So I'm trying to get that W, okay. man. You okay. know that. I ain't trying gotcha. to lose. Hey, that's all. I ain't trying I, to lose. I'm gonna pick those three because I know I'm okay. winning that. And I gotta wrap it up with uh this 2017 Warriors or 96 Bulls. Um, neither. So here's the thing. If, and people have done this and you think of the rules and blah, 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 man, that's a big factor because if, if, if Steph Curry got to go in the paint and you can put him on his butt while he's trying to come around baseline, you know what I mean? Coming off a screen, he, he has enough of an injury history. I'm like, that dude ain't surviving that. And I love Steph. Um, and then you could put Ron Harper, Scotty, Mike to chase him around, then you vice versa with Clay. Um, but then I think who's guarding KD? Because if you put Scotty on KD, then that means Clay or Steph got like Ron Hart, man. Yeah, and then I don't know. Uh, I'm a I'm gonna go Bulls because I'm gonna go Bulls because I think they'd be better defensively. Because who is Steph guarding? Who is their uh is their point guard? Is it Armstrong? Or I guess Ron Harper well, would start probably. No, so you said the 97, I feel like it was Ron Harper who technically, you know, he played, we would call it the one, but Scotty was running yeah. the offense. 
So you had so that's what I'm saying. I feel like Scotty Garden Steph, that's what I want, or Scotty Garden KD. Then you know Jordan is on, uh, Jordan, probably yeah. Clay, and then Ron Harper. I get him to chase Steph around, or you know what I'm saying. I feel like, like you would almost have to put Steph on Robin, because like they're not going to feed him in the post. But see, people do that. There's a reason. I think Robin averaged eight or ten points yeah. for his career. Like it's not like he didn't yeah. score. You go put a loot, and you don't want Steph getting in a foul trouble. You got to realize Dennis mixes that's, it up. Yeah. So you want Steph down there trying to stop, and he's going to grab all those offensive that's, rebounds? That's you kidding true. me? You got to you – no. And Draymond will be flustered because, I mean, he would be completely out of whack. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think I think Dennis would make Draymond, you know, you think he, you think Draymond, when he did the kick, was out of his mind then? Oh, Dennis Rodman, get him out of there quick. So I think I go Bulls because defensively, and man, I think MJ would find a way. And then you got to think the other defenders that that team had. We're not even talking Tony Kukoc who was on that team as an X factor, or um, Scott Burrell was a good defender. You yeah, know what I mean? So- like there's other, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. I think I'm gonna go those Bulls. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go Bulls. Uh, I think I could go either way. I just feel like it's hard to kind of defend when Steph's taking one dribble from half court. Like there, there's no hand checking somebody shooting from half court. Like that's just. I don't know how you guard that. So we will we will see. Um, but again, thanks for joining the show. Gonna leave you the last few seconds or so to kind of any words of wisdom or insight for the fans and listeners out there listening. Have at it. Oh, you know, for anyone that's ever watched NBA TV, um, I, I appreciate you. For anyone that's ever watched uh, when I was in Roanoke or Columbus, Ohio, or Bluefield, West Virginia. I mean, you know, people down there, or even in New Orleans. Hold on. Earlier, I didn't even mention New Orleans, man. I lived in New Orleans and covered the Saints and the Pelicans. How I leave that one out of the equation. But anyway, um, yeah, thank you for having me on. And I just hope that you guys continue to catch shows. Obviously, right now with COVID-19, we don't have a set time. But typically, I host a warm-up from 6 to 7, uh, Monday through Friday on NBA TV. So check that out when hopefully things get back to normal. Okay, cool. And thanks again, Chris. Uh, Continue to stay safe, and I'll be looking forward to watching you once things return. Cool. Thanks for having me.